now. Great. I whenever you do that, I always remember like Freddie from iCarly when he would do the countdown. <laughs> Two and we're live? I forget what he used to say. <laughs> Did he just say two? God, my memory is gone. I think he just stopped at two and did one of those, like... Professional. <laughs> Unlike me. <laughs> Speaking of memory, hi, Austin. Hi, Sophia. <laughs> nice to see you again. Glad that we remember each other, even though we haven't seen each other in several months. Mm. So we're here to uh, do episode three. Yes. Three. We're doing it. Publish them out of order from when we recorded them, but yes, <laughs> it's okay. We're all good. <laughs> so this week we're talking about ten books each. And before everything happened, I thought it would be funny to call this episode "Hindsight is 2020." <laughs> it's a little bit different now. Now that everything has happened, so take from that what you will. But <laughs> we're here to talk about twenty books that we like really like or have kind of gone back to over time i think yeah. I, kind picked, of... I enjoyed the ones that stuck with me went to the writing was maybe really creative or yeah so on and so forth yeah and i think that's really good because everyone's looking for recommendations now that we're <laughs> all at home and definitely doing our best <laughs> i think i've revised my list probably about a hundred times yeah my page is like fully scratched out <laughs> times yeah. We planned this. Like you do. I don't even write anything down. I just have it saved into a memo on my phone. That's more, that's probably better though, because my, again, my writing is awful. And like, we planned this episode out a long time ago when we were like, hey, you know, it would be a great idea if we did a podcast. And so <laughs> <laughs> this list was like three months, six months old. I don't even know anymore. And uh, I opened it and I was like, I'm not this person anymore. The quarantine has changed me. So then I just started like scratching out things and replacing them. Um, yeah. But I've got it. We'll do. Oh, you do one, I do one? Yeah. Do yours in any specific order or just? No, I literally just have like 10, 10 floating. Do you want to go first? I'll let you go first. I need to pull my list up. <laughs> okay. Age before beauty. <laughs> um, okay, my list. My, the first one I wrote down was actually, so this is like my version of Harry Potter. I was never really a Harry Potter kid. Um, um, I watched the movies, I think, but I didn't read them, which I know is like, it might be sacrilegious to some people, so nobody fight me, please. But um, my first one is a series, which I hope isn't cheating. But... I was going to say the same thing, my first one's a series as well. Really? Okay, good. I'm glad it's not just me. So my one was a series of unfortunate events. It was my jam, right? Um, it was so important to me. I was, like, super into it. The whole, like, Lemony Snicket authorship, like, pen name was mind-boggling to me. I think that's, like, the first time I had encountered an author who, like, created a persona. And I thought it was so creative. Um, I loved that they were, like, they're illustrated by Brett Helquist, who is, like, one of my favorite artists. So, yeah, that book series was, like hardcore for me i really liked it did you read the book series before watching the movie or the oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah and you better believe i was so pumped to see that movie it was ridiculous <laughs> and the movie was so sad because it only like they squashed like three of the books together in one movie now they have a series which i haven't seen actually um 
but I can't really picture like Neil Patrick Harris as Count Olaf because to me he's always going to be Barney Stinson so I don't know maybe I should get around to watching that actually but the movie was good it was just like not what I expected or the one scene in the movie Scarby when I was a kid the one where the the ant is on the boat in the yes. sea of the, what the flesh eating seals or something yeah or eel, not seals <laughs> Josephine goes over that was but <laughs> my girl Meryl Meryl Streep excellent portrayal as always Good character actress. She's incredible. <laughs> God, that was like a good movie. <laughs> Rewatch that. Or did she fall out the window? What happened to her? I could have sworn they were on a boat and the boat slowly sinks and her, her hat or her bonnet rises up from the water. Oh, yeah. Then who fell out the... Oh, no, they staged it. They opened the window to make it look like she jumped or something. Oh. Uh... It's all coming back. So important <laughs> to me. Clearly, I remember every detail. <laughs> what about you? What's your one? Okay, I'll start my first one with The Iliad by Homer, which... Okay, that's A lot super of people are really into that one, but... I remember I had to read excerpts from that in probably grade 9, grade 10. Yeah. And that was really the thing that set me on the path of really liking history. That kind of introduced me to the whole thing. Even though it's not actually history, it's likely largely fictional, but... Right. It still opened me up to the whole idea of Greek culture and yeah. ancient culture. That's amazing. That's like, a, okay, now I feel like my pick is like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so cool. And I remember like, I always kind of floated around the idea of getting into it, but I just, for some reason, never did. I think I did once in history class for like a paper, uh -huh. but that totally makes sense because you read a lot of, I feel like stuff about like Greek history. So, and that's like, well, list. let's see, one, two, three. Five of my ten books are history books, so. I would expect <laughs> nothing less, and I support it. That's amazing. And it was Iliad that set me along all that. Yeah, it's such a touchstone. Like, I feel like to kind of understand anything that's going on in that realm, it is important to kind of have knowledge of that. Uh, so I guess for anybody who wouldn't know about it, the Iliad is an ancient poem that describes the, the Trojan War, which is largely a mythical war. But it had a big presence in all of Greek history. It was one of the first written histories, or first works of Western poetry, which wow. laid the foundation for all later Greek and Roman writers. Wild. <laughs> it's like the eat, pray, love of travel memoirs. <laughs> which is like the worst comparison. Ugh, good times. Um, well, my second pick is also history. It's okay. historical fiction. So I put down um, The Fountains of Silence. It's by Ruta Sepides. And she's kind of like an amazing writer. She does a lot of stuff about like different countries, like enduring the whole like Holocaust situation. Okay. So she's written a lot of good stuff about that. She did like um, a book called Between Shades of Grey. And then that was kind of about Lithuania. And their kind of experience during the whole Hitler-Stalin situation. Okay. And so I loved her books. She does like a, like, she basically, like, she spends like five years. She said this in like an interview once. She spends like five years talking to like survivors of different things and talking about like, you know, like all the archival material she researches. And then she starts writing the book about it, which is like nuts. Um, it was fiction, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one is called Fountains of Silence. And it's actually about um, 
like Franco's dictatorship in Spain. And so it's awesome, super good. And basically like, I mean, obviously I'm no expert on this, but it was a very tense time. Like a lot of like his mandates were very problematic. And so it kind of goes into like, there was a lot of um, children taken from their families if they were like rebels against you know, his ruling and his dictatorship. And so they were like stolen from their families and then given away for adoption. And it was like this whole scheme, very, yeah, it's a, it's an incredible book. It's really good. So was it, I was it during World War II or prior to it? Um, I think it takes place in like the fifties. It's so crazy because like when I was looking at it, like he was like, he was in charge for a long time. Like, I think it was like something like 60 years and it's always been like something I've been interested in because like, like full disclaimer, like I'm Catholic and like, that was like a whole thing that they did there. It was problematic. Like they would force that religion on people. So we learned a lot about that in school and like, Hey, like this is something really bad that happened that like is associated with what you are. Um, so understanding that and really coming to terms with it is important. Uh, so be a big lesson for all the political stuff going on in the world now. Oh yeah. Like taking ownership and understanding things is it's critical so I mean like obviously that's not what I believe or anything but yeah so it was kind of forced on people and it was a it was a really bad time and so like basically the book like it follows like an American who's going to Spain because his dad is making like a big oil deal like he's like this Texan guy or whatever and then there's like a Spanish like family there and they're dealing with like the repercussions like their parents were teachers and they spoke out against like the Franco regime and then they were killed. And so it's like kind of unraveling like a bunch of stuff that's going on there. It's beautifully done, like really, really immersive. So it's a goodie. That sounds interesting. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You want to go to my number, number two? Yeah. Okay, so my number two is, drum roll, <laughs> Make a Bath by Shakespeare. It's a classic. It's a good. I love that. I can't really say that that's my favorite Shakespeare play, but it was the first one that really got me. It was my first one that I read the whole way through, actually. That's awesome. The first one that kind of introduced me to the whole Shakespeare repertoire. Yes, yeah. That's a lie. I think I read Twelfth Night first, but... Oh, Twelfth Night is good, too. That one really stood for me as much as Macbeth did. Right. Lady Macbeth. All about her. Washing her hands all those times. A classic. (laughs) I love it. I don't really have much to say about that. Most people know Macbeth. It's one of Shakespeare's quintessential plays about the Scottish king. True. I think I read that. I must have read that grade 10, grade 11. Great. Yeah, that sounds right. We read like... Just... Oh, sorry, go. I'm just going to tell all my books in the order that I read them, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Chronological. I support it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I really liked all the character depth and development in that one and all the all the different moving parts and how you root for the bad guy. Oh, yeah. You gotta. Macbeth is such a classic. Like, everyone I talk to who, like, hated English class, like, can't relate for us, obviously, because, I mean, you, you and I, like, talk about this a lot, but um, everyone who even, like, hated the Shakespeare content always loved Macbeth. It's just, like, something about it, like, really gets people. And, like... I wasn't a theater kid, but I like some of my really good friends were, and like the whole Scottish play thing, like, oh yeah, like it's it's so ingrained. It's a really good one. Remember, I 
t- they talked about the Scottish play curse on an episode of Jimmy Neutron. Really? <laughs> a classic. I it was when I was a kid, but then reading the play to however many years later, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes <laughs> full circle. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, move on to your number, number three. Okay, my number three is, um, I put down, where am I? Sorry, I lost my list. I put down Fun Home, a family tragicomic. And that is really cool because it's um, a graphic memoir by Alison Bechtel. And she's really cool. She's the one behind the Bechtel test, which is basically like, if you're watching a movie and there's two women on screen, it's like, there's like several different things. I should have looked up the test before to explain it. Well, I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but essentially it's like, are there, is there more than one woman, woman in the movie? And are they talking about something other than a guy while they're on screen? And if like, it's not like, then you start to realize like how often it happens. She's like, She's really cool. She's she's a feminist kind of scholar. So that was very interesting. And it's really interesting because like her family actually ran like a funeral home. And so she kind of grew up in this weird environment and she's talking about like coming to terms with her sexuality and then like it's just like a very a very like important kind of coming to age thing I think. And I liked that they called the funeral home the fun home. I thought it was really <laughs> funny. So that's it. I kind of have a weird fascination with like, um, this is going to sound morbid, but like kind of that whole like death industry, like what kind of goes on and like the process behind it. So it's interesting. My cousin, my cousin's fiance runs a funeral home, actually. You're kidding. No, no, I'm not kidding. Your friend's like kind of a celebrity. Well, your future cousin-in-law is kind (laughs) of a celebrity. That's so cool. Mm, yeah, for about a year or two, they lived actually on top of the funeral home they were running, which would be no, that's kind of cool, too. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. I feel like I'm not very, like, I, I've had very few people in my life pass away, thank God. Oh. And it's like the whole industry is very interesting, and I think it's like kind of the more I read into it and the more I kind of, like, research, um, I'm interested in, like, kind of death positivity and, like, how... Like, really, like, as a Western culture, we're not very familiar with it, and that can make it very traumatic for people. So I'm interested in, like, the whole, like, how do we kind of meet in the middle there and, like, kind of, like, bring it up more and, like, know more about it and understand it and, like, kind of, yeah, come to terms with it, so. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. The fun home. Tell them (laughs) to call it that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it'll catch on. What's your next one? Okay, my next one is, let's see, I'm just checking my list again. Okay. So my next one is called Let the Right One In by an author called John Ivita Linkvist. I was going to read that. Was it good? Really good. Oh. So just a kind of a brief, like, synopsis of it. I know yeah. vampire books have really, have really have a bad stigma now because of the Twilight series. It's fine. They're good. But this book came out around the same time. It was originally released in Sweden. So it's about a young boy, I think he's 11 or 12, and he discovers that his neighbor is a vampire mm-hmm. that forms a friendship with her and has to deal with the morality of wanting to be friends with her and then the stress of knowing his friend is a monster, kind of. Okay. Well, I originally discovered that one. They made, a, they made two movies of it. They made a Swedish version and then they remade it in English. So I saw the English version first. Right. And I really liked the film, so that put me on... To watch or into reading the book 
So I think I must have read that around grade 10, too. I remember I, my family took a trip to Vegas. Ooh. I spent the entire plane ride there and back reading the book. That's awesome. Don't you love how that happens? Like, you you can remember trips by, like, what you were reading during that time? Whenever I, I go back to the, whenever I go back to the book now, I can just imagine myself back in the plane with all the lights off except for mine. And Oh, that's so great. I love that. Yeah, it's a really well-written book. It's a horror novel, really. It's like a horror romance, I guess you would say, but and also a coming-of-age story. Yeah. And it deals with well, it deals with a bunch of topics like alienation from your parents, bullying, growing up. Yeah, I'd recommend it. That's awesome. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff coming out of like Sweden and like Scandinavia in terms of like crime novels. Like it's it's really gaining like a I mean, obviously, with, like, stuff like The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and everything, like, huge phenomenon. And now it's, like, really, like, seeping in that they're really good at, like, capturing, like, crime and horror. And, like, obviously, they always have been. And we're just kind of gaining awareness now. But it's awesome. So cool. Um, all right. My next one, I'm going to say that it is um, This Is Where I Leave You. And that one is by... I'm looking at my bookshelf now because I actually, it is by Jonathan Tropper? Trooper. Tropper, Trooper, I don't know. <laughs> You'll find it. It's it's called This Is Where I Leave You. I actually, this is one of the few books where like I saw the movie first and I wanted to read it. Um, And like the movie was like very, like obviously emotional, but it's essentially like um like the patriarch of a family passes away and like all the kids come back to stay in the house with their mom for a while and they're all like adults and like going through stuff and like the main character is going through a divorce and so he's kind of coming to terms with that and like his siblings and his parents and like it's just very like uh intense so I loved the movie and then um like my grandfather actually passed away last summer and I was kind of looking for like something that could like, I'm not very good with, like, grief, so I kind of was looking for something that I could kind of read to kind of, like, feel something and kind of, like, see, you know, because you never really know what you're supposed to be feeling in moments like that, so sometimes it's nice to be like, okay, like, what else is going on? And I didn't really feel like reading something chipper because I was like, everything is awful. So I got that book. I got it from, like, our local bookstore, actually, Wordsworth. Um, it was, like, the last copy. Maybe it was Fate. I don't know. Saw it on my way home from work, got it, read it. It was so hard to get into because it's very, like, depressing at first. It's very, like, you know, this is life, everything is awful, blah, blah, blah. And kind of as he goes through, he's, like, dealing with a lot. But it was it was really good. I think it really, like, helped me kind of, like, put things into terms. Yeah. Like, it was, like, putting things into terms. And it was, like, nothing is, like, perfect, but, like, kind of seeing, you know, that, like, things happen for a reason but also seeing like someone who is like in a really 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 bad spot seeing how they kind of like go through it and like come out the other side it was really like cathartic I don't know if that's like it sounds like I'm like obsessed with death now because like my other one was like kind of touching on that too but no this one was really good and it was like something I think I definitely recommend to someone who's like maybe like not super close to the event because it's really really depressing but like after some time has passed. Good. That film uh, adaptation just came out a couple of years ago, didn't it? I remember uh, seeing stuff about it. Yeah, it was pretty recent. It had um, Tina Fey, who you know I love. She's a queen. 
and it had what's the guy from star wars remember super flowy hair very the red lightsaber the new one adam driver oh, uh, yeah adam driver yes love him also and then it had uh ben stiller i want to say this is going to sound awful but i always mix up ben stiller and paul red so it always takes me a second to be like i always mix up uh, ben stiller and um steve carell so oh i love steve carell so much um yeah so it had them and it. it was very good like maybe watch the movie and see if that that would be something you're into I'm going to warn you, like, the book is a little bit more depressing than the movie. Okay. But, yeah, it was good. What's your... Yeah, you should. It's intense, but it's good. What's your next one? My next one is Anthem by, I'm going to butcher this name, Ayn Rand, I think it's pronounced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm i going way out of chronological order, because I think I read this one in grade eight. Oh. We're reading on the way to the Toronto Zoo. <laughs> you were reading this in grade eight? Ayn Rand is not middle school material. That's impressive. Ooh. I know it's more of a novella than a novel, so I think I finished it in the, the entire car ride over. But Impressive. <laughs> I, I think it. that's one of those ones where it's not really the book itself, mm-hmm. stuck with it, but it's just the circumstances around it that kind of stuck with it. Like I can still remember exactly where I was or where I read it and yeah. all the reasons for it. But just like most of her works, I haven't actually read a lot of Ayn Rand's stuff, but... Mm-hmm. All of her stuff is very philosophical and anti-communist. She grew up in communist Russia, right? Right. I think I remember reading that. So Anthem is about, it's a dystopian future mm-hmm. where no one has any identity. They're all identified by numbers. Oh. No, it's not by numbers. It's by like a keyword. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think it's both actually. It's a keyword and a number. So it would be like conformity 3321 or something. Oh, and the main character discovers a relic from the past, like from our time, yeah. and discovers its own individuality, but then it's pushed out of the society because of it. Mm. So it's about man coming to terms with his own individuality and not being part of the crowd, which is, I guess, what many observers would have seen communism as at the time. I guess you're right. Mm. That's that interesting. only around, I think, 100, 150 pages, if oh. I remember correctly. It's been a while since I read it, but. That's good. It sounds better than like Atlas Shrugged. That thing always looks like four Bibles. Like <laughs> when I see a copy of it, I'm like, whew. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a good a good start for anyone to want to get into Iron Rand. Hmm. Cool. Mm, my next one is I'm gonna say my next one is I'm like deciding from my list which one to choose. Um the next one is called You Don't Have to Say You Love Me. It's also a memoir. Super depressing title, but an amazing writer. Um, So it's Sherman Alexie, and he's Native American. And so he's, like, phenomenal. He's kind of behind... I don't know if you guys... Or I I guess I don't know if, like, everyone listening to this knows, but there's, like, a really important movie to Indigenous communities called Smoke Signals. And so Sherman Alexie kind of, like, did the screenplay behind that and that's kind of how I found him and um read a lot of his stuff he he wrote um the part the diary of a part-time Indian which was really good as well that's kind of like a YA novel um and he also does like a lot of poetry which is really cool if you're interested in that and this one is basically like a memoir of him coming to terms with like the majority is like the relationship with his mother, um, but it's also kind of like how he defines himself in like, you know, navigating like American culture. And so, yeah, 
It's a really good one. I really hmm. recommend that. I'm noticing a trend with all of our choices. You're really into the more social issues and I'm more into the more political issues. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm like looking through this. I'm like, hmm, there's like a lot of memoirs going on here. Like, I, don't, I guess, yeah, it's, it's really good. I think like I'm trying to read like a lot of like policy about like how like indigenous communities in Canada and America like have dealt with like, you know, colonialist stuff that's been pushed on them. But I, I enjoy reading it more from like a memoir perspective to see like at the ground level, like how does this impact someone who's like, you know, like navigating like being a teenager in this environment. And like he writes a lot of stuff about that, too, because he would go to school like off of his reservation. So just kind of like he details like a lot of racism he encountered. He details like a lot of like, you know, how he came to terms with his identity. How does he fit in? at home when he's not at home so it's really good really good stuff yeah okay i'll segue from your memoir into the memoir that i have on mine Ooh. okay i am ozzy by ozzy osbourne yes okay I probably around the same time as anthem probably grades eight or nine right that was right when i was starting to get in the music that i'm interested in now which is like rock and roll and metal mm. yeah that was the first musician autobiography i ever read i think you know, I just thought it was a really cool insight into the whole rock and roll scene and the dangers of drug abuse, because obviously Ozzy's had a long history with that. And... Right. Is he the one, this is going to like, this is going to shame me about like my little knowledge of this scene, but is he the one with the bat? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's all clicking. It's all coming together. I love it. So yeah, that really kind of perpetuated my like for rock music. Nice. Just knowledge. I'm not sure how much of the book is actually written by himself. He probably had help writing it because it's awesome. <laughs> I love like the knowing look you just gave, like, because you know. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, but it's really interesting seeing a like a musician look back on his whole life and seeing all the mistakes and different ways he could have gone. For sure. <laughs> True. I was just reading I feel like I I only started reading like music biographies because of you actually because before I hadn't really considered it as like an option like I'm not a super non-fiction person so yeah I kind of read um I read I forget what it's called but the heart biography okay that was really cool it was really interesting because I didn't know they had their start in Canada and I was like yeah okay and then um yeah I am on hold for the Debbie Harry blondie you know how our our professor enjoys Blondie. Our old professor loved her. Them. So that's kind of cool. Okay, so my next one will be Hamlet, which I'm very excited about because never in my wildest dreams, this is going to like, everyone's going to cringe so hard when they hear this. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would like like a play by Shakespeare more than Romeo and Juliet. I know that it's basic. I don't care. I love that play so much. But, I have a confession to make. What? I haven't read Hamlet. You only... <laughs> you were going to say Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, it's impossible yeah, to avoid it. Um, I've seen adaptations of Hamlet, but I've actually, I haven't actually read the source material yet. Oh, that's totally fine. I'm not going to yell at you about it. <laughs> I'm no Shakespeare aficionado, but um, Hamlet is good. I think that I read it in grade 11... And it was funny that we were reading it that year because I ended up being in the play because we did um, a Great Gatsby version of Hamlet. Huh. Because that was around the time that the adaptation of Gatsby came out. 
<laughs> so yeah, Hamlet is my jam. I really liked it because Ophelia, great. Hamlet dealing with his daddy issues, great. I'm about all of it. Let's go. And it was just it was just really, really great. So when reading Shakespeare, do you prefer, do you prefer to read the plays just on your own away company or do you like to like actually see it being performed? I think I definitely enjoy seeing it be performed. Like when I was little, my dad got me like this like children's version of like Shakespeare. So it would break down like it would say it like it would tell the story as like a narrative, but then it would have like little quotes of the actual play in it. So that's kind of where I kind of had this big fascination about it. Like, yeah. So I started getting really into it because I really loved Antony and Cleopatra. That was like my favorite one because I was obsessed with like, right? I was obsessed with um, like Egypt at that age. So I was really like, oh, like, let's go. Like, it's really fun. And after that, it was like a Midsummer Night's Dream. That was like my big thing. I was going to get like the All the Worlds a Stage tattooed on me when I was like 18. This was like when I was six. I was very into it. And that's what every six-year-old dreams about, right? Like tattooing Shakespeare. I don't know. <laughs> and so that was like my big thing. And then when I was like like a tween, like maybe like 12, it was like Romeo and Juliet all the way. It was like so interesting. Not even because of the relationship, really. Just like I liked the way like the apothecary was like in it. I liked like all the like, you know, the whole fight thing. And, and it was just really interesting. But I think that Hamlet is the one for me just because I really like seeing shows and being in it and hearing those lines every day for like two months. I was like, oh man, like I live and breathe this now. Like I had one line in the whole play and I was like, I could tell you all of the lines right now. So funny. Okay. I think I said this was cheating last time and it's also cheating this time. But number three choice is actually four books. Ooh. But it's part of a series. So I'll count it as one. Safe. I respect it. And it's, Con Igledins, I think that's he pronounced his last name. I think he's British. Ooh. It's a historical fiction series, of course, because that's my oh. thing. And it's called the Wars of the Roses series. Oh. I've heard you talk about this before. You can, yeah, it's Richard the Third. Amazing, <laughs> <laughs> iconic. That's a new like game portion of this show. Is how many times do you mention Richard the Third, and how many times do, like do I mention? <laughs> I don't know what my obsession is. So, yeah, that's a. It's a four-part. It's a four-part series about the obviously the Wars of the Roses. Nice. Which I got into that because actually the the show Game of Thrones. Oh, cool. Was based off that war. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. I'll start looking at the actual history behind it. And then Game of Thrones ended up sucking. So. <laughs> this is so funny because I remember you and Kate dressing for Halloween one year uh, at Thrones, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, a good costume i was really excited about it i didn't See, watch it all, but if i had known three years later that the show ended up terrible then i wouldn't have done the halloween costume <laughs> too bad it's immortalized now in my memory <laughs> <laughs> yeah that book series is really good it's it's set in like the england 1400 it co- covers about 30 35 years of history wow that's and obviously crazy. there's like artistic licenses taken but from what I've read, it's pretty accurate to actually how the history went down. That's awesome. I yeah, like, I'd recommend it. I like it when they, like, they they give it, like, just enough, like, factual information where you're like, oh, like, this is really cool. But, like, at the end, you can kind of check yourself, like, what they took liberty with and what was real. Like, I know I uh-huh. read a really cool, like, historical fiction work. Oh, I'm going to forget the title. 
and the author <laughs> because it was years ago, but it was about like Hatshepsut and she's like, oh, of, yeah, yeah, like one of the only female pharaohs in Egypt. And it was like this really, really great book. And I, think I saw that on, on an overdrive or something. Really? That's so funny. I'm, I'm reading like an actual like nonfiction. Well, I guess I finished it. A nonfic about Hatshepsut right now. But this is oh. like a one. And it's not on my list. But like, honestly, it was really great. And so, yeah, I kind of like feel like that reminds me kind of along the lines of what you were saying, where it's nice to kind of have that mixture, right? And see like how they interpret things. So. That's what I like about historical fiction is that even though. Oh, can't really know for sure what. Oh, did we freeze? Very good. We'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, even though, like with real history, you can't really know what people were thinking when the events happened at the time. But with historical fiction, you can kind of understand what they may have been thinking. Yes. Or a certain perspective on it that may have occurred. And it's funny because you don't really realize, like, until you're, like, in history class with, like, someone who's specialized in whatever like you don't realize how many like liberties and interpretations people are even taking as it is because we have stuff left over but no one's gonna leave behind records of like shitty things that people have done in the past like <laughs> to be remembered for like oh yeah he was mean to me on monday you know what i mean like we only hear the good stuff or like you know whoever won their version of it so it's like it's like when you hear uh. about this breakup story and you're only hearing like one side of things and you're like <laughs> I believe you, but also, what is the other person saying? <laughs> yeah, that's how I like to picture history. <laughs> okay, what's your next one? Okay. Um, I feel like this is, like, the final round, so I'm really excited. This is our top top two each, right? Yeah. I didn't <laughs> I didn't conceptualize, like, this is the top two, so I don't know. Yeah, you didn't do it. Like, these aren't your top two of all time, right? These are just... These are just random, like, ten books. Okay, that... good. So... So are mine. Okay, good. Okay, we're like not. I know me just my number one book, my like number one book of all time. I love that this is like a disclaimer that we have to have just because we know that there's going to be like five other like favorite books that are going <laughs> to. Um, we'll, we'll do another top ten episode in another six months. Yeah, for real. The next one I have is called uh, Life Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. And I'm hoping that I didn't talk about this last time because I just had a deja vu moment of me explaining this. But. Is that the one by Mark? No. Mark, Mark something? I think that's... Oh, I forget. The, that, that's another one with the F-bomb in the title. I forget what it is. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe I'm getting them mixed up. Orange one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've seen it on the internet list. It's all coming back to me. Um, <laughs> no, this one is by Sarah Knight, and she's really cool. She's, like, an ex-publishing like superpower in, like, New York, and she has like a whole line of like kind of like self-development books where um, like essentially her life story is like she had like major anxiety and then she just left like at the top of her game in New York and then she moved to an island in the Caribbean and is just living her best life and like writing and she's just like her whole like philosophy is really interesting in that like she's just like why are you doing anything if it's not making you happy and it's just really cool like I really like that whole genre. I, like I just like hearing tips like oh like could I be living my life better tell me how you're doing I'd like some guidance so it's really good I really liked it you know one thing I realized thinking back on all of our each of our top tens yeah you like a lot more happy stories than I do <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something I thought of I really don't like happy books I mean and it's funny because I guess my thing was like 
I feel like you and I in school, like we would always study really depressing things. Like we took a lot of like courses on like history and like, I, I'll never forget. Like one time in second year, we had to learn about um, Adorno and Horkheimer. Ah, don't remind me. And they had a theory that like, again, this is like little second year us. We were like, what, 19 <laughs> class. And it's like basically them and their like philosophy is that nothing about anyone is original. You're all just navigating and regurgitating the same things. Nothing about you is real or original. And I went home and I was like, who am I? Like, I was so disturbed. <laughs> and like, I think that's like a big part of it is that like when we were wading through all this philosophical, factual, whatever, I was just like, someone give me a rom-com or I am going to lose <laughs> it. Like, that really like pushed me in that direction of reading. So I don't know. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you didn't need a break. You were still <laughs> reading about. I just started on the decline and kept on the decline since then. I support it. I support it. That's great. Well, yeah, next one is it sad? <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> so it's kind of another historical. Fi- Actually, my next two are both historical fiction. But this one's more modern. It's from. Well, they're both modern. This one's set in the more modern period. It's from, I think, the 30s. Oh, awesome. It's called Johnny Got His Gun. Okay. It's an anti-war novel placed in World War One. Awesome. That's so <laughs> and cool. And it's about, it's about a, I think it's an American soldier who gets caught in a shell explosion. Oh. And he loses all of his limbs, his arms and legs, as well as his face. So he doesn't have any senses or anything. Okay. So he's just kind of trapped in a hospital bed. And he can't communicate with anyone. It's really, yeah, it's really dark and kind of disturbing. Okay, where did he find this book? It's actually Metallica has a song written about the book. Okay. So, like, that. I thought I heard of the title before, and then you were explaining it, and I was like, I have never heard of this. It's like 13 or 14-year-old me listened to that song when I was in public school or high school. Amazing. I was like, wow, the song is so good, I should read the book. And I didn't until probably last year. Wow. And it was pretty disturbing. So the whole book pretty much is just the the narrator's state of mind as he's lying in his hospital bed and he has to remember his life before the war and its reflections on the war and how horrific it was for the people who lived during it. Okay. Is this, <laughs> is this like along the lines of like it's a wonderful life where everything bad happens and then, the, and then at the end he's happy or is it just like straight through? Spoilers. <laughs> okay. In the end he's still in his hospital bed. Oh. And he finds a way to communicate with the doctors that are treating him. He stays in the hospital for until after, or probably I think it's seven or eight years. Okay. And he finds a way to communicate by using his head to tap Morse code. Wow. And he finds out the doctors don't care about his condition and they just leave him in the hospital bed so they can study him. Okay, this is awful. <laughs> super haunting, but I'm I'm sure it's like also like kind of a more realistic portrayal than like other books. Well, not that other books were, like, sugarcoating anything at that point. But uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, this is one of those books where it's not based off of any actual events that happened. Like, that didn't actually happen to anyone that we know of in World War One, but it's something that most definitely could have happened. Yeah, bleak. That's... <laughs> yes, that's that's the word for it. It's very bleak. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> cool. Okay, do you want to brighten things up with your next one? <laughs> okay, my last one... <clears throat> is uh Jane Eyre okay I like I say this all the time people are probably sick of hearing me say this um I am like a total Bronte girl (laughs) 
I, I grew up with like a lot of like Jane Austen fans as friends. And like for me, it was like Charlotte Bronte. Like that was it. And <laughs> and Anne. I, I feel for Anne. Wuthering Heights was not my jam, but um, you know, <laughs> Emily's fine. Emily's fine too. Respect. Uh, <laughs> but Jane Eyre was like kind of it for me. Like I, I read a lot of classics growing up, but like I hadn't really gotten to like this kind of like moody English Moors situation until high school. I think it was grade 10. And I remember, um, yeah, so it was just me reading it. And it was like my selection, like the teacher did not make me. Um, other people were reading like fun books for the project. <laughs> cool, cool, I'm here. And I like adored it. It really took a while for me to get into it just because I've noticed this a lot. And like, I don't know if other people feel this way, but the descriptions of scenery in this book are like 30 pages talking about the way that the leaves are falling in the wind. <laughs> season sometimes but honestly like it was one of like my absolute favorite books I love the adaptations like the movies and you know Jane Eyre is just like a total boss so <laughs> I really like it. like I feel like in Jane Austen like sometimes everyone's like well like she's really great like for portraying like strong narrators that are women but like there's something about like the way that Charlotte Bronte does it where it, it's like this person has been dealt like the shittiest hand but she always just tries her best to do the right thing. And it's like, I just respect it. And like everything around her is like depressing. And she's just like, it's okay. We've got this. We're just going to move along. And it was, it was a beautiful book. So. Okay. I think I'm going to lose points in the friendship scale. No, Austin. <laughs> no. I'll just leave it at that. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> Did you try to read it? Not yet. I will though. Okay, if you if you tried Wuthering Heights first, it's not even in the same like, no, like Jane Eyre. Okay, I'm gonna lose more points. No. <laughs> what? Okay, but Wuthering Heights was like, I feel like people are gonna judge me for this, but I did not enjoy. Like ten out of ten, like would not read again. I really didn't have a good time. Um, but like I like like the academic articles around it, and like I understand why it's so important. But like, no, Jane Eyre is it for me. <laughs> But did you try to read it or like what? What's a scoop? I haven't yet. This is a safe space. You're not going to lose any friendship <laughs> points. <laughs> you can tell me. No, I haven't read either. Okay. That, that's fine. <laughs> that just means you haven't got around to it. That's fine. That's acceptable. I thought you were going to say like, Jane Eyre is dumb. <laughs> I was going to be like, Austin. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll have to do a Jane Eyre episode in the future then. <laughs> I would love to get into it. Don't even tease <laughs> You could talk about the movies too they're so good one has anna paquin who is a canadian icon so <laughs> look forward okay. to that i'm gonna lose even more <laughs> friendship points <laughs> okay <laughs> i haven't yeah. seen any movies about the movie or any movies about the book either okay that's fine you keep leading this up like you're gonna say like anna paquin is the worst <laughs> nobody quote that we love her um i haven't watched she's in true blood right yeah i haven't watched that either <laughs> it, it, mm, no, like, I feel like I've been reading a few more books about, like, I guess, like, the Southern Gothic genre. So, like, I tried True Blood. It wasn't for me, but, like, I don't know. It could be good. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, what's your last one? Drum roll. Okay. Like I said before, my number, like, my number one spot is my number one book. It's probably just the most recent one that I've read. Okay, okay. It's another historical fiction. Awesome. It's called Caligula by Simon Turney. <laughs> we're talking about this and I saw that you read it on Goodreads <laughs> I think I've read that one two or three times through I only got it like a year or two ago okay yeah I Caligula 
remember him from history, love, <laughs> love learning about him, tell me everything because okay. you're a scholar. So that's about ancient Rome. Caligula was the third emperor of Rome. Awesome. And he's been villainized in history ever since he died for being crazy and leading the army and all these impossible, like he declared war on the sea. and That's my favorite. <laughs> but the book really takes a step back and like tries to understand him as a person and why he is understood such way in, uh, understood in such way in history. Yeah. So I was thinking the other day, it's actually kind of, it's almost Shakespearean. Yeah. And like the, the tragedy aspect of it. Because he starts out, in real life, he started out as a good ruler for the first six months. And he took a big decline. For the, I think he ruled for three years. Wow. There was like all this debauchery and bloodshed and yeah. But yeah. the way the, the book is, it makes him really sympathetic. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. That's so true. That kind of like leads back to what we were talking about before in that, you know, the way people are remembered might not be exactly how it went down. But you're so right, because, again, uh -huh. going back to my very faint memory of like high school history now at this point, my favorite subject at the time, but so much has happened between then. 2020 is just like <laughs> everything that happened before that is like 50 years ago. Um, but yeah, I only remember hearing like really like salacious details, like scandalous, like and like the way you were talking about it, yeah, every Roman emperor that I can remember has done something very like <laughs> intense or like weird. So it's really interesting to hear from like a sympathetic point of view. Uh, the the author did another one about another later Roman emperor named Commodus. The oh. book's also called Commodus. Nice. So that one was also really good, but love that. I find that just the emotional attachment was more in Caligula. Hmm. That's really cool. Mm hmm. I'm going to think about that for a while, because even in, like, this latest book that I read, again, I'm talking about it again, but um, about how Chepset, like, the nonfiction one, like, the scholar was pretty much saying that normally, like, great rulers or, like, especially, I guess, in the case of, like, females who, like, entered the realm of power during, like, long, long periods of time ago. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> long ago in history, like... <laughs> you're um villainized or like you're just not talked about at all because it was just such like an anomaly to have someone outside of like the realm of what you're used to in power so that's uh -huh. interesting to think about it that way i don't know especially with women in history too yeah Ancient history oh catherine the great and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. we should have an episode about that you know how i feel about <laughs> she's oh they have a, a really uh funny but like inappropriate but like funny <laughs> Uh, parody show it's like about Catherine the Great it's called just oh the great yes. I yes. watched the first episode of that I liked it I haven't watched the rest yet but okay yeah it's okay so it's Elle Fanning Nicholas Holt it's iconic it's like <laughs> so I read so many biographies well so many like five biographies of Catherine the Great and she's so like interesting and so like wild and like <laughs> watching this parody of like her life like trying to become the ruler of Russia and trying to get rid of like her husband is hilarious. I like, <laughs> I, I killed myself laughing. It was really good. It's like not like in the beginning, like on the slide that says like the title of the show, it's like an occasionally true story with like an asterisk at the bottom. And I think it's, it's great. Like, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. I, I they... find really disorienting watching uh, like historical fiction TV shows and movies. Yeah. Everybody has a British accent. Yes. What is <laughs> 
No matter what section of, like, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if it's because, like, BBC really cornered the market on, like, period pieces <laughs> for a long time. And now everyone's like, ah, oh, yes, this is exactly what history sounds like. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Alexander? No. It's about Alexander the Great. It's all, it stars Colin Farrell as Alexander. So an and Irish. He's, he's Irish, yeah. yeah. And he uses his Irish accent as Alexander the Great. And at first I thought, wow, that's stupid. Why would he use his Irish accent? But that's just as, as that, that's just as a mistake as using a British accent, too. For real. I don't know. That's like that's so- something I thought of a lot. I don't know why. It's just that keeps coming back to me. It really sticks. Like, I, I'm going to forget the name of this, but like, again, as film majors, we talked about. Like, there was this one period of time where there was, like, a specific language used. I forget what Something Atlantic. Oh, it's going to bother me that I don't remember. But, like, you know, like, when Catherine Hepburn or, like, Cary Grant talk in old movies? And they uh-huh. have really weird, like, it's not British, but it's, like, this kind of, like, posh accent. Uh-huh. Like, wasn't real. And it was only taught to, like, select Americans in, like, really rich province, the provinces, <laughs> states. And it was, like, created by, like, a woman in New Brunswick and then taught in, like, all these theater classes. And it was, like, if you are a fancy person, this is the way you speak. And it was just completely manufactured and not even real. And it's, like... I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, like, oh, I'm going to forget the name, but um, we'll post it in the show notes if we find out. (laughs) So annoying, like, because, you know, if someone's listening, they'll probably know what it's called. But... um, Out of our four viewers that we'll have. Yeah. (laughs) Those fans. Um, But, yeah, so... I don't know. It was just really interesting because it's like we manufactured a dialect and then we attributed it to like this section of people who did not use it whatsoever. And it's like hilarious, but also like, you know, as a viewer looking back, you're like, oh, yeah, this is real. This is how they spoke at the time. If you didn't know that it was manufactured, then like you would just assume. Uh Meta. That was a big tangent off of books, but that's okay. (laughs) Probably have quite a few of those. Yeah, for real. I think that's that's it for my list. Is that the last one for you? Yeah, that's all for mine, too. Oh, we did it. <laughs> I mean, I love that we called this episode Hindsight is 2020. We we made the title in, like, this is, like, when we were first brainstorming the podcast in general in, like, what, late 2018, early 2019? <laughs> and now, like, in whatever stage of quarantine we're in, yeah, Hindsight is 2020. It's very poetic. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. That was beautiful. That was a great list. Now I feel like I have more to add to my, like to read list <laughs> be read hopefully it's not too disjo- disjointed between the first half and second half but yeah fingers crossed <laughs> tried our best <laughs> it's quarantine <laughs> we should get friendship points for that <laughs> <laughs> i'll make up for the ones i lost for jane Eyre. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay you can earn them back when you read it <laughs> i'll read caligula so we're even <laughs> oh, okay well, okay that's- i think that's a cut on episode three All right. See you next week. See ya. Bye.